You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our interview with the cinematographer of Isle of Dogs, Tristan Oliver. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're King. You're Duke. You're Boss. I'm Chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a junior turboprop XJ750 and flew it to the island because of your dog. Darn it. I've got a crush on you. We get the idea. You were looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? Hello, everyone. I am speaking with right now cinematographer Tristan Oliver. He has worked on Academy Award winning films such as Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were Rabbit, the Academy Award nominated film Fantastic Mr. Fox, and now reuniting with director writer Wes Anderson. His upcoming film, Isle of Dogs, releases in limited release this weekend. Tristan, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I first wanted to ask you um, about the particulars of your job because I, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with other cinematographers within the industry and how they light live action. Could you tell our listeners, however, about the similarities and the differences between live action cinematography and stop motion cinematography? Sure. I mean, I, I, I've always felt that aesthetically there shouldn't really be a difference at all. I think the, the job of the cinematographer is to create something that is photographically beautiful and, you know, suitably framed and right for the, for the movie and to make any kind of concession to the fact that you're working in animation, I think is wrong. And that's really something that myself and my colleagues have striven for over the last 20 years is to kind of bring that skill of stop frame lighting up to a point where it where it is as as beautiful as any other movie you might see and just happens to be animation at the same time there are a number of practical differences i think the biggest is just the sheer scale of the operation that that we work with i mean in order to get the film made we typically work with a, a studio that has 50 shooting units in it so that's 50 cameras 50 sets all turning over at the same time wow so my my job is as much about lighting as it is about management. So I, whereas I would, you know, personally hands-on light maybe 15 of those sets, uh, I've got a couple of other guys working for me as well. But everything they do is filtered through my eye. So I'm constantly giving them notes just to make sure that the visual continuity of the film is kept coherent because it needs to look as if I did absolutely everything. And, and essentially... Uh, visually I am, but I just can't physically get hold of that stuff all at the same time. <laughs> so, so that sort of coordination and just coherence of vision is, is super important. You know, it's a bit like having 49 second units working under you. Um, 
The other thing, of course, is just the sheer physics of trying to shoot stuff that's so small. And if if you think about the relative size of the camera to the characters, if if cameras were that big in live action, they would be the same size as a small truck. So yeah. you are if you're moving the camera and you're in a let's say a just a standard room, a standard living room, you're you're essentially trying to maneuver a vehicle inside that space um which has you know that's that's got practical considerations as it is but you're also trying to make sure that the animator is not being uh, compromised by that being in there so you know can they get around the camera can they actually get to the puppet to animate um and the other thing is just working so close to the character you your depth of field is a completely different consideration you know typically in live action you can take a close-up on someone about four feet away and everything from the end of their nose to the hills in the background will, will be in focus or at least it's very easy to make it in focus whereas in animation if you've got focus on an eye you're lucky if the nose and the ear are in focus mm-hmm. so you know we have to work at very tight f-stops in order to try and overcome that and to make our miniature world look like a larger world in terms of of what the eye expects to see so those are the two main differences really but aesthetically, I hope there is none. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand what you mean. And I, I work within the uh, world of cinematography as well, part of my uh, full-time job. So everything that you're discussing, I fully appreciate and I understand wholeheartedly. I'd, I'd like to take it back a little bit to um, before production began on Fantastic Mr. Fox. How did you get connected with Wes Anderson? Um, you know, How did that collaboration begin? Um, well, like many things in life, it was sort of accidental, I guess. I mean, I had got wind of the fact that the movie was being made and I was trying desperately to get hold of someone who knew someone who knew someone who might be able to get me on it. And that proved quite difficult. Um, but I did eventually find someone and I contacted the producer and went in for, uh, for an interview, um, and she was interested enough. Alison Abate uh, was interested enough to sort of send my reel off to Wes. And I, I ended up getting the gig that way because I had already shot Chicken Run and Curse of the Were-Rabbit and various other fairly successful short films. So I did. I had some track record at that point. Um, what I didn't know at the time uh, was that they already had a cinematographer in place to do the job. Um, so I ended up completely unwittingly ousting someone, which didn't make me feel great, but I didn't actually know that is what had happened. Um, and then, I mean, the relationship started from there really. Now, um, after working on the, these two films, Fantastic Mr. Fox and now Isle of Dogs, what would you say has been the biggest difference between the two projects? Um, was there anything that you wanted to do with Isle of Dogs that, um, uh, obviously, aesthetically speaking, it is different, but maybe wanted to challenge yourself, try to top the previous work you had done before. Yeah, I mean, I'm always on the lookout for something different. I think that's, you know, that's certainly the truth. And this is a very different film, and it has a very different feel. Um, I, I think actually, I had substantially less artistic input into this film than I did on Fox. I feel that Wes drove this very, very hard to refine his aesthetic and, you know, to get his various recognizable tropes in there. And so the job really became more of an enabler for him to do that than what my more normal role would be, which is to be putting in from a very early point, 
um, you know, ideas for the visuals on the movie. Would you say that it was because he was more comfortable in the field this time around? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I think every film he makes is, is a refining process of, of the aesthetic he's trying to reach for. And I, I think he does become more auteurish as, as he goes along. So it was, a I don't, Fox was a frustrating movie to work on because I think we we never really knew uh, what what he required of us, and Isle of Dogs was frustrating, but in a very different way. In that we knew exactly what he required of us, um, and what he required of us wasn't necessarily um, our artistic flair, but rather our sort of hands-on ability to realise that. Sure. Um, after working for so long in the stop motion industry, um, and with so many different styles and directors, um, as we're alluding to here, is there anything on your bucket list? Maybe it's a particular genre or director you wish to work with that you would like to check off the box on for your career? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'd certainly like to be doing more live action. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love a crack at a big American drama series i mean i think the quality of american tv at the moment is absolutely astonishing and i'm i'm constantly amazed at the quality of the stuff coming out of the states um i'd I'd love to do that like i make love to make a film with the cam brothers you know all those things everyone wants to do really Mm -hmm. um i did work with a director a couple of years back dorota cobiela who directed loving vincent for which i shot all the original live action footage and i she's quite exciting person and i think if she makes another movie i'd certainly like to shoot that for her so yeah yeah all those things well, your track record definitely speaks for itself because, I mean, Loving Vincent, uh, de- definitely a different form of animation, but equally just as visually stunning. Probably the most visually stunning film I, I saw last year within the context of animation, I would say. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, you, you, you understand, of course, it was shot as a conventional live-action movie. I mean, that's what yep. we did. And within, you know, we shot 90 minutes in 14 days or something ridiculous. Um, and actually, you can see a little clip of that on my website. Um, if you follow enough links on the website, you will eventually get to the live-action footage from Loving Vincent, and you can sort of compare and contrast the two the two end points of that, the live and the painted. Well, if anyone uh, that's listening right now has any interest in that, uh, by all means, please check that out. Uh, shame, shameless plug, what is that What is that website uh, called, if you don't mind well, me asking? Well, it's called tristanoliver.co.uk. It's, uh, it's as easy. simple as that. Yeah, easy peasy. All right. Fantastic. Tristan, uh, can, you, uh, can you tell us, if, you, if you're allowed to, uh, what it is that you have planned next? In terms of feature films, I do have a couple of feature films on the horizon, and I cannot tell you what either of them is, unfortunately. Um, but I <laughs> do fine. know that I will, as, as always happens in this bizarre world of stock frame, um, it's a bit like buses. Two or three come along at the same time, and you're then stuck having to choose one. Um, and then suddenly none come along you know if only they could run back to back it would be so much easier for all of us but uh, a lot of us sit on our backsides for a while and then then have to make that dreadful decision but um yeah there's a couple out there coming up soon but right now i'm i'm really trying to get some kind of a rest because i haven't stopped since i mean you know we finished the movie and i've just been doing press and publicity solidly since then and a couple of commercials so 
I just like some air right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't blame you. I want you to get that much needed rest. For those that are listening right now, Isle of Dogs comes out in limited release this weekend, and then we'll be expanding to wide release. It is shot by Tristan Oliver, the cinematographer here. Thank you so much, sir, for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Okay, you're very welcome. All right, you have a very nice day. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is our interview with the cinematographer of Isle of Dogs, Tristan Oliver. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. My name is Matt Neglia, and you can find me on social media at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.